What's going on there, youth pastors? Paul Turner here from the DiscipleProject.net and your host of the Youth Ministry Motion Podcast, the podcast that wants to keep you motivated and your youth ministry moving forward. How are you today? How are you? Now, come on, be honest. Be honest. How are you today? Well, I hope you're fine. And I hope no matter what you're doing, if you're jogging, doing the dishes, sitting in your office, <laughs> listening to this in your earbuds while you're driving the van so you don't have to listen to the teenagers screaming. I don't know what you're up to, but I hope that you're having an awesome day and I hope life finds you well. Uh, for me, uh, life is going pretty good. Thanks for asking. And uh, this past week, we've been uh, practicing. We're going to be doing the service for our adults on Wednesday nights. So we've been practicing some skits that I've written. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to share with you, share those with you once I've cleaned them up a little bit. And maybe you might be able to use it for your church. But uh, but yeah, you know what? You never know what's going to hit with your youth ministry. And I, I'll be honest with you, I thought it was going to be more teeth pulling than anything to have them do a skit. But boy, they bought into it, man. They're doing a bang up job. They're doing a great job with it, and I am looking forward to the end result, which will be them praying with uh, mostly uh, senior members of our adult church that are out there on Wednesday nights. I'm excited about the connection there. But listen, I got a great episode today, something I've been thinking about, uh, mostly as it pertains to, to the history that I've had in the church. I'm a bit of a slow cooker, and when I say slow cooker, I mean in the terms of discipleship, that I, that I think it takes time to make disciples and sadly you know i've served in some microwave churches who did not focus on discipleship there was very much quick come to the altar pray a prayer and just show up every week <laughs> and and i was like no can, can we not slow this down we got to slow cook it and whether it's slow cooker as in a crock pot or slow cooking as in barbecue you know i think things that are slow cooked are much more delicious than things that are microwaved. I think you would agree with me on that. And that's why I have my guest today, Caesar Kalinowski uh, of everydaydisciple.com. And he has some great resources I'm going to talk to you about in a second here. Before we get into that, this episode is brought to you by my store. That's right. I have a little store where I sell uh, resources, curriculum, all those kind of good things. And one of the things that I, that I usually bring up this time of year is if you do not have a plan for the summer and you'd rather have a summer jump than a summer slump, then I'm going to recommend my tribe's nine-week summer outreach program. It is a competition. It is where you divide your youth group. And I recommend this, by the way, for youth groups that are uh, somewhere between you know 12 and 15, something where you can divide into Two teams of at least six to ten uh, would be optimum probably for you. And, uh, and, and it's filled with games, score sheets, guest cards. Uh, and I also have a six-session coaching audio where I tell you how to put it all together. So if this sounds like something for you, I'm going to put a link down in the show notes and you can grab the tribes program. And like I said, it's nine weeks. It gives you all the games, all the resources, all the things you need uh, to be able to motivate your students, to bring friends this summer, join a team and uh, just have a lot of fun. And ultimately, the ultimate goal of all of this is that they come to Christ. Not that you just have numbers in your youth ministry, but they're going to build relationships. Uh, you're going to get to know them and they're going to get to hear the gospel and uh, join the church uh, as part of the body of Christ. Okay, if you are a slow cooker in a microwave church, this podcast is for you. 
My uh, guest today is Cesar Kalinowski. He is the author of Transformed and also Small is Big, Slow is Fast, and is the host of the Everyday Disciple podcast and currently has a great resource available over on his website, everydaydisciple.com slash benchmarks, where he offers you a PDF called The New Measurements of a Healthy Church. It's got a little quiz in there to see how your church uh, is uh, currently matching up to those things. And so I encourage you to go get it. But for now, let's go ahead and jump into part one of my interview with Cesar Kalinowski on how to do more slow cooking, less microwaving, and taking a new look at discipling students like a family. All right. And Cesar, welcome to the Youth Ministry Motion podcast. So glad to have you today. Hey, Paul. Good to be on with you. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Well, I'm excited. I mean, from the time that uh, that I was introduced to you and watched uh, some of your videos uh, and uh, checked out your podcast and all this stuff, I said, you know, this guy needs to be on here. This, I, I think we're uh, brothers from another mother in in regards to discipleship because I think we look at discipleship very, very much the same, but very much different than how the traditional church I think looks at discipleship. Is that is that fair to say? I, I bet it's going to be. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> because, you know, many, many years ago, as we were involved heavily in youth ministry, even then, as we started to push some of the boundaries, it was an ill-fitting suit at times. And now even 20, 25 plus years later, uh, you know, life and community, it still scares many, but uh, I think it's maybe a little less uncommon, you know, these days to talk about discipleship as the primary goal. <laughs> yes. Ill-fitting sounds like my career. Uh, in the church. It just, that just that very much sums it up, I think. Uh, but yeah, tell, tell uh, the audience here a little bit about uh, maybe how you, uh, how you came to the Lord. Where, how, how'd, your, how'd you get here? For, what's your journey like? Well, it's a long story. We had about a week. Do I have a week? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Long Great. form. I told you, I like long form everything. <laughs> well, so we can- I'll, I'll give you fun. a shorter form, but maybe not the shortest of forms. So I, I grew up in the Chicagoland area, very um, Polish, obviously, Kalinowski, very Polish name. My whole family is Polish, except um, our nuclear family. My mom was Protestant, and, and we even went to Catholic school growing up because everybody did. You just did. Polish equals Catholic, right? And I didn't realize, even as a kid, that the word Protestant meant Protestant. <laughs> and I wasn't there to protest too much of anything, except for when the, the nuns would grab us literally by our sideburns and yank us out of our seats and take anyway. So, um, but I, and, but that was the week that was day to day going to school, but we were going to church as we say, go to church, which is not even good theology. We are the church, but we would go to church every Sunday from the time I was in the womb until I, you know, moved on, you know, at 18 and moved out of the house and the, the church we went to um, if I'm being honest, Paul, the, the gospel was primarily about our afterlife, you know, about wow. getting that afterlife upgrade, saying that Jesus in your heart prayer, that magic prayer that you'll never find in the Bible anywhere. Um, right. And I'm not opposed to that. However, it's not just the model Jesus gave us. Right. And, um, and then what Christianity equaled in our minds, at least me and my sisters and the way my folks articulated it, was Christianity is you try to sin less until Jesus gets back. It's behavioral modification and sin management. And if you're a rock star Christian, lots of shoulds and supposed tos, um, you should be going to church every time they open those doors. 
and you should be tithing. And it basically, if you did that and maybe ushed, did a little ushing, then uh, you were you were good to go. Like, and then Jesus would be very happy with you if he sneaks up on us, like you know, like a thief in the night. And remember that show, anyway. So, <laughs> I do. I do. But but Christianity was just like something about our afterlife, and we were trying to sin less, and it wasn't about the kingdom now and forgiveness and grace. As much as they use those words, it didn't feel that way. And so at about 18, when I could, I moved out of the house and I was like, and I am done with that. <laughs> and um, I would be in like, so the next bunch of years playing in a rock and roll band for a living and sort of really, I, I'm not trying to make this, you know, all like, whoa, crazy, but it was really a sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle. I could be selling you a bag of weed, Paul, and say, oh, no, Jesus Oh yeah, that's real. Oh yeah, he died on a cross, man. You got to believe that. Beep, expletive. Um, or you're gonna burn in hell, man. Like you don't need that. Anyway, he stole me forty bucks for that bag. You know, it was like this weird understanding of things, and I had faith in who Jesus was and what he had done, but there had been zero discipleship. I mean, zero. And in fact, my youth pastor. This is how great it was. Um, after I had left the church, but I got wanted to get married several years later to my high school sweetheart and still wife, Tina. Um, he, I went back and I asked my youth pastor who was still there, would you marry us? And he's like, yeah. And he did our premarital counseling, which was two sessions. Um, my wife and I both lied in those sessions. It was horrible. Fought. We fought like cats. He still married us. And then right after we got married, uh, he, him and his wife divorced. You know, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's not the best. And like I said, no discipleship. Now, jump way ahead. My wife and I are married. We have our firstborn son, Caesar, who is Caesar the fourth. That's a family name for us. And uh, we realize, like, I, we are going to ruin this kid. Wait, I don't know what's going on. And through a series of miraculous events that I still don't understand, I agreed to go to a church weekend retreat with my wife, with this friend from work that she had just met. You know, she'd been building a relationship that that woman was starting to try to disciple her a little and invited us to this weekend retreat up in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And I don't know why I went. I don't even know why I agreed, because at this point, I'm just playing in the band and starting to learn how to record things and uh, selling bags of weed and all this, you know, and uh, I agreed to go. It was kind of like you, you remember Darren and Bewitched. He would do stuff oh, yeah. he didn't want to do because she would just yeah. suggest it. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, let's go do that. That's kind of how it felt. But on that first night of this weekend retreat, heard a message on lordship. And it was the first time I'd ever heard a message on lordship and kingdom and kingdom now and life in this kingdom. And that night, and I believe God grants repentance. Scripture says that he granted me a new mind and an understanding and, and this repentance to be able to lay my life down and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to ruin my life anymore. And I had been, and I don't want to ruin my son. I know this is a gift. And so I want to give you my life. You take, you know, you take over. You be the king. And so we got back to the room that night and I told my wife, I said, um, I got to tell you something. She's like, well, I need to tell you something. And I'm like, me first, I have to tell you something. And I told her, I said, I just laid my life down. I want Jesus to be king really like seriously. You know, I've been kind of fiddling around with this my whole life, but I mean it and something's different. She's like, well, that's what I want to tell you. I did the same thing tonight. So it was this miracle of God's grace. And from that night to this conversation, Paul, it, it's been God's grace of we've never sort of turned away or backslid or got kind of cold about it. it was like right away it was like and we're in and this was a discipling community and we've been involved in everything since and you know and we just it's been our life we've never you know <laughs> so that's that's a shorter version of a lot of detailed story there
Well, that's a, that's a great story. It's a powerful story because I think there's so many young people, even like yourself, you know, who grew up, who did not have that discipleship factor, right? They didn't have that, um, those moments with their youth pastor or in the church or something like that, that actually talked about lordship, that talked about, you know, surrendering everything and not just praying prayers and not just coming to an altar, but but real surrender, real deal. Yeah. And I knew the minute the minute you said that you had grown up in Catholic Church, I knew we were the same because I also grew up in the Catholic Church and I got my hand smacked and and by rulers and things. Rulers and pointers. How about the pointer with the rubber? About pointer, yeah, absolutely the pointer. Yeah, whatever was available, one. really, really whatever was handy. Uh, yeah, you know, whatever was handy. <laughs> whatever was handy. But in hearing that story, I think that's you know the story hasn't changed much in reality. Because I don't believe that the vast majority of youth ministries are talking about surrender or lordship or kingdom or or those things because you know we have to um, we have to play nice and we have to uh, you know um, follow along with um, whatever the church is doing right so we're so and that gets into our discussion today but before that though tell me a little bit more about you know, your relationship to your youth ministry and your, your youth pastor, what was that kind of history like? Well, it was, it, you know, I have so little memory of it, even though I went to church my whole entire life kind of thing. Um, I remember lots and lots of silly hanging out times with only with other kids in this one youth pastor guy. And we kind of thought he was cool because he had longer hair. Oh, you know what I mean? My, my, you know, my dad was ex-military. So I was still like me running the sideburns and all, you know, and uh, he looked like he was in a band, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of did. He kind of looked like all the record covers of the bands my older sisters listened to, you know, it's like, all right, maybe we'll go with this guy. And he was pretty fun. But it was kind of what I've come to call and unfortunately participated in myself, the pizza do ministry, you know, where it's yeah. lots and lots of pizza nights in Mountain Dew. And yeah. then and then you kind of try to settle these you know, sugar hopped up kids down and then give them a really scary message about, yeah. you know, like if, it, oh, if you're on your way home tonight and you get in a car wreck or something, you know, or someone breaks in here right now tonight, just shoots us all, you know, whatever, crossing the switchblade kind of stuff. And uh, right. And right. it's like, so Absolutely. you want to say this prayer. And here's the thing. The denomination that I was being raised in did not believe in your, your eternal security, that your salvation was secure in Christ. So you could lose it constantly. So they were constantly like, you probably don't even know you lost it today. So because they were counting hand raises and they were counting decisions and all this. And so we just kind of lived on eggshells and fear that we were sinning too much. God was ticked off at us. Um, and I remember lots of games. I remember just weird, funny stuff. One time, this is way off subject, but you, you'll get it. Yeah. They, they had us all, and it was, I think it was like a sleep-in or something we did. And um, they had us all outside of the room and they said, we're going to take you into this special room now. We're going to blindfold you and you're going to get to meet the king. And so they walk us in blindfolded one at a time and you go in there and they say, now go ahead, kneel down. And we kneel down. We can't see what's going on. You touch something. Someone's holding your hand. They go now kiss his ring. And so they, all of a sudden you kind of feel a ring coming close to your lips and we kiss a ring. And then they go, now you can meet the King. And then they take your blindfold off. And the guy, the youth pastor has got his foot. He's in a robe and he's got his foot crossed and there's a ring on his toe. Oh, but my. you didn't kiss that ring. You kissed the ring on his hand, but it was this big joke. Yes. Funny thing. Now right. you also realize that everybody else who came in the room before you was standing there watching, trying not to laugh and blow it. It was that kind of stuff. And then sit down and let's hear an afterlife message. Yes. 
you know, and there just was nothing to do about, well, how do we live this out now? Like the six days and 22 hours and, and you know, and, it, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you what, that was all way more attractive than the religion class I had five days a week in mass going to Catholic school. Yes. That was brutal. It just yeah. made no, it was really hard to understand. Yeah. And, and, and they were mean people to us. They were very mean, many, not all, not all. I'm, you know, not trying to whitewash a whole main line here, you know, not at all. <laughs> or blackwash, not at all. but it was, it wasn't fun. Let's just say that it wasn't. And when in fourth grade, my parents decided to move me out into public school. Um, I was glad until I got to the public school and first day I had someone pull a switchblade and stick it under my neck. And I was like fourth grade. I'm like, Oh boy, you know, <laughs> out of the frying pan and into the fire here. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you had, it sounds like the two extremes, right? There's, there's the nothing well, that was happening at youth group and the hard line of the Catholic church. And it didn't seem like there was any, any in between of any normalcy of what it's normally meant to follow Jesus. It's either, it's either lots of this or lots of Mountain Dew or, or lots of pointers and rulers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which, which, you know, neither one of those are, are good, are good. They're not good models. Yeah. It didn't work for me because at 18, I was like, and goodbye. And I split and I, you know, I got an apartment with my pal and uh, my band was everything. And we just did that. And we lived that life until I was about 25. So I got what, seven, yeah, about seven years of just Caesar is King fully out from under mom and dad's thumb. Yeah. Doing, you know, my rock and roll, local rock star lifestyle. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that sounds about right. That sounds like, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, students who, who leave today, I I don't think the story has changed much. Uh, I think there's, there's, there's this waiting to check out. There's this, you know, I can't wait. Till I'm done, even though they're committed to youth group and even though they're there and their parents bring them or they're, or, or, you know, so forth, but there's still that, well, I can't wait to get out and, and do all this other stuff that, you know, I wasn't, I'm not allowed, I'm not allowed to do, uh, oh, which, yeah. which then brings started. us, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> but, um, which, which, which brings us then to our topic of the day, which is really talking about working in churches because, my heart has always been discipleship. I am the I am the slow cooker in the church versus the in the church, which is the microwave. And so I like to just turn on the thing and let it cook and percolate. But the church is the microwave, and and many of the churches, if not most of the churches I've been, have wanted to this fast growth track. And I'm just watching, and I'm just like the observer here. And if I've noticed anything over the years, it's just the, the lack of attention and detail to life on life ministry yeah. amongst adults and, and me trying to course correct that in the, in a youth ministry that wants to be the slow cooker, but that's in, that exists inside the microwave, which is really, really odd and really strange um, to do. So then the question is, what do we do? What do you do? What do you say to our youth pastors that are slow cookers in, in these microwave churches that understand the value of discipleship and relationship and, and the need to kind of knit hearts together with the Lord and with each other? But there's this constant pace of the church that says, we got to move fast. We got to move fast. We got to get the numbers up this high. We got to get here. And, and it seems to be a numbers focused church versus a 
relational kind of ministry or a youth yeah. ministry that it, it's it's not and i find at least for me i'll speak for me that is where the contention would come in uh for me is that i i simply would not i i anytime i tried to do it fast i always felt a check in my spirit that says this is not the right way for me to do this this is not yeah. this is not how i do discipleship this is not how i live my life yeah and i'll bet paul that's why people love your podcast there are a lot of youth workers if not almost all of them are feeling that exact same sort of dichotomy of pressure. I, I did yeah. as well later on jump way ahead in life. And I'm one of the pastors at a mega church in the Chicagoland area. And I'm head of production. Thousands of people, big show. You know, if I'm up preaching, my head's 15 feet on a screen. Most days I'm up in the booth, headset, cue camera three, smoke lights, you know, all that, like, whoa, crazy. And what, I mean, I have a lot to say to those youth pastors. First, I would say is, Building relationships and taking time with people is the Jesus model, right? The kingdom of God expands at the speed of relationship. And the gospel then moves along the lines of trust. I can't see any other model in scripture or that Jesus gave us. The kingdom of God expanded at the speed of relationships. And then the gospel moved along the lines of trust. Like, don't you trust me yet? You know, type of thing. And we see that even our Lord Jesus, who's God himself, perfect, you know, in nature and in practice, he goes to the father and says, hey, you know, like I've been preaching to the crowds. There's a whole bunch that are following me. Which are, who are the 12 that I should give my life to? 12. Now he doesn't select them. He, they're not fostered upon him. He asks dad and dad says, it's these 12. And he gives them a biggest group of knuckleheads you'd ever seen. Kind of reminds me of middle school in many ways when we were doing middle school ministry. No offense. Right? You know, we've all had to put in our time, you know, it's just right. part, of, part of the church world. And and he gets, and you know, one of them is going to be a traitor, and two of them are going to have their mommy coming to their defense, trying to like finagle for a better position on the team. All that, you know, wowzer. So it sounds so familiar, doesn't it? Yes. And then I've done the math. I can't, I wish I could remember the numbers, Paul, but Jesus spent, you know, three and a half years pretty much day and night with them. I think I did the math. It was something like 30,000 something hours he, he actually had awake face to face with his disciples. And yet somehow we're supposed to just go, boom, here's a ton of people. You're going to get them an hour or two a week at best. That's assuming they make it every week. No one does anymore. And somehow you're supposed to do a way better job than Jesus did at discipling them to maturity and knowing how to make disciples who make more disciples. Full stop. Er, record scratch. Doesn't that just sound nuts? It does. Right? I use this analogy. Because by God's grace, my wife and I have raised three adult kids now who still love God and they love people and they love us. And they're like, they're our best friends and they're each other's best friends. And they're, they live with open homes now and they've given us four grandkids so far. Anyway, but people oftentimes, you know, come to us and they say, your kids are amazing. I, you know, I love them. They love people so well. It's crazy. How did you, how did you raise them this way? And it's like, you know, we know the answer. It's God's grace. But, but imagine if my wife, Tina said this, Paul, she said, well, Here's what we did every week, once a week, usually on Sunday morning, we lined up some rows of chairs in the living room and, uh, and me and the kids sat in the rows next to each other. Caesar had this little stand kind of thing. He'd stand up in front, you know, by the bookshelf there. And he would talk something from the Bible kind of thick. Sometimes we went a little long for about a half hour, 40 minutes. And we would sit largely in silence and take a few notes. And then at the end of that time, we, yeah, we usually did a couple of camp songs that the kids didn't really like that much. Um, and then, and then we'd say, we'll see you next week, kids. 
see you next week. And like, see you Wednesday. You guys come in Wednesday. And they're like, yeah, well, that's okay. Well, maybe next week. Okay. All right. Have a good week. Let us know if you need some. And that's all we did. And, and, and it was that they turned out amazing. You know, isn't that goofy? How could you possibly raise kids to know God and love him and trust him and give their lives to others and live in spiritual freedom and relational peace like that, you know, sitting in rows in silence for an hour and a half a week. And oh, and by the way, I forgot to fill in the details. In that hour and a half every week, we had meals, we did homework, we did, we taught them, we did vacation, we did the budget, we did chores, we cleaned the yard. Everything had to fit in that one time because it's the only time we saw each other. Goofy, right? So it's not going to happen that way. And I think now, without being mean, because we I'm a product of that, and then I was I helped unfortunately lead that way for a season. Um, I, I think now it's fair to say, well, that's not Jesus model. You can't find anything like that in, in scripture. And we can also look at the history. It's not worked. It doesn't work. It will never work. Right. The kingdom of God expands at the speed of relationship. And then the gospel moves along the pathways of trust that we build with people so they can receive the good news, hear it, apply it to every area of their life. And if, if discipleship is about every area of life, and I believe it is, in fact, here's how we, here's what we say discipleship is. It's this process of helping people and them helping us move from unbelief to belief in light of the gospel in every area of life, helping people move from unbelief to belief or lies to truth in every area of life, not just truth about your sin, atonement, and afterlife, but about your parenting and about your gender and your identity and your job and savings and retirement and parenting and, and you know, fill all the millions of things. Yeah. That's what we think discipleship is. So if it's about moving from unbelief to belief in every area of life, then wouldn't it preclude that we'll have to do life together? Like you're going to have to do every area of life together, not just pizza do sitting in rows, seeing the hopped up kids, not sure who's going to turn out how, whatever hoping they'll say the right answer, raise a hand. I see that hand, you know, it's like, man, oh man. And I think, and I'm going to, I'm going to shut up after I say this. I think the core issue, Paul is, is we lost the, we lost the mission of the church, yeah. which was to make disciples who make yeah. disciples, filling the world with God's glory. And yeah. somewhere along the line, we thought the mission of the church was to get people saved. Now I know that sounds heretical to some listening, but our mission is not to get people saved. That's God's work. He did that right a little while ago. We just celebrated that again because it is finished and Jesus right. rose again. It is finished. We don't do that saving. That work is done. We were called and sent to now go make disciples who make disciples, filling the world with God's glory. That's what we get to do. And until we return to that and until the church metrics start to focus on that and allow for that, then we're going to be left with the microwave version of youth group and church that has to be about numbers and budgets and all that stuff instead about relational growth, transformation, maturity, the gospel being understood and applied in all of life. Yeah. Yeah. In your, in your, in, first of all, all of that, all of it, <laughs> all of it is, is, is absolutely 100% true. The situation is, is then you have those youth workers so what actions or what steps then would you give to the youth worker who's in the microwave church, but they're a slow cooker They're Look, I'm trying to do youth ministry. Well, I'm trying to do discipleship. Well, what is that youth? What is the steps for that youth pastor to say then, 
you know, are they going to, should they quit? Should they <laughs> have a, have a chat with the pastor? Should they uh, just keep doing what they're doing? And eventually they'll just get fired, which, you know, that's kind of what happened to me, but you know, such as so, so then what are the, what are the steps then that you would recommend for the youth pastor who says, listen, I love doing youth ministry. And it's not that, by the way, I want to say this. It's not because that youth pastors don't do evangelism or don't do outreach or don't right. open the doors or don't want more kids to come. They don't, yeah. I'm not talking about those youth pastors. Those youth pastors have other problems. They're, they have other issues. I'm talking about the youth pastors trying to just do discipleship well. They still do evangelism, still want to share Christ, still want their youth group to grow. But in that growth, you, you, you know, you, things get forgotten, uh, things get, uh, undone. Um, and I'm talking about those youth pastors who says, look, we got to stop the machine for about five seconds here and let's catch up. Let's kind of, let's kind of catch up to what we're doing here. But if the church doesn't model that and the church does not have that type of thing and churches are moving that, then how does a youth pastor proceed in that type of environment? Well, I guess every situation is going to be a little bit different because it depends on how, top down, heavy handed it is or not. A lot of these pastors are kind of like, listen, do what you want to do and try not to have too many parents complain. Some, because the senior pastor used to be a youth pastor. And so he knows better than everybody. And he might, maybe he does, right? Um, He's going to dictate heavily what you get to do and not do. Right. Right. And I think maybe the larger the church, the more it gets dictated down to the youth leadership at all levels and and children's ministry and all that stuff. Um, I would say, though, that let's just say uh, maybe this is the most common. You've got a you've got an expectation of putting on a midweek youth night. okay, or a youth event. Sure. Great. You get to. That's not stopping you, though, from treating the kids who are leaning in to faith, the people of peace. If I'll use that term, the ones just like Jesus asked the father to show him which ones are really going to lean into this as a lifestyle with me. And treating them like family and yeah. doing way more with the, you know, yeast in the dough. Jesus, sure. when he sent out in Luke, when he sent his disciples out to find more disciples, you know, and I don't have time to teach the whole thing, but he says, here's how you'll know your people of peace, right? Like when you pronounce peace, in other words, you extend your life to them and say, hey, can I help you? Or do you want to be together? They're going to go, yeah. And he goes, when you find those people, that's who you stay with. Yeah. Don't keep looking even. So if each of you find one or two of those people, we're going to have plenty. And you look at Jesus only did a dozen and we don't hear of any giant numbers of each of the disciples then had thousand people showing up at their house. You know, like that doesn't, that doesn't exist. And some people would say, well, that's a cultural difference. Nah, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, we've done church planning and training in over 30 countries now. Um, no, that's pretty normal still. And I think if the youth pastor is putting on that, that service, that's maybe closer to pizza do they, they love that they would, whatever has to happen. Okay. Fill it full of the gospel, maybe reimagine it as an equipping time instead of every, it's always trying to get lost people saved, lost people saved. The mission's not that, um, but discipleship is the application of the gospel to all of life. So you see what I'm saying? Like, there's really not, there's not a tension here. Like, well, we talk about the gospel every week now. Great. You know, the mega church I was at, we had gospel Sunday once a quarter where we kind of gave the big gospel message, you know, sure. yep. God, sin, Jesus, faith. And then if you raised your hand, then you were taken to a special room and given a little packet of goods and invited to a one-on-one. Yeah. I don't know what the other 48 weeks were about. They were usually about like sin management, behavior modification, marriage upgrades, you know, stuff like that. 
parenting yeah. advice. But if you start to disciple kids and see that that weekly meeting time as a blessing and a way to equip the kids with how the gospel speaks to all of life, well, then it's going to be way more disciple making. Then if you look at who's really leaning into that and their parents and start to maybe meet in homes at another time of the week and like, well, that's not sanctioned. Well, I'm not getting paid for that, whatever. Well, you get to, you know, if you're in a church, that says quit meeting with parents and their kids so much, you're probably time, you're probably looking, you know what I mean? Sure, so, absolutely. right. You know what I mean? So you're yeah. probably looking to move on. So you get to Jesus spent his time with so few people in comparison. And the truth is you can only disciple people, Paul, who are leaning into relationship. Yeah. And that is usually the minority of any group. That's it always is going to be. The road is narrow. Jesus gave us the heads up on right. that. That's right. Roads Adam, really, really Adam. narrow. Most won't find it. And if we keep trying to parent by proxy, we're like some barely ever, maybe never discipled younger person or even older person. I mean, youth pastors now are all over the range. Praise yeah. God. Um, but many of them, because I've spoken at too many events, like how many of you were discipled where the gospel was spoken into all of life and you had lots of meals together and went out and served together, fixed cars, went fishing, all that stuff. Almost nobody, right? Almost yeah. nobody. So yeah. now though, they're supposed to go and disciple 50 kids or 300 kids or, you know, you do the math, whatever it is, 20, yeah. I don't know, you know. And they've never been discipled. What if they were to draw in the parents and say, hey, we're going to keep doing what we do midweek. So it's a big wide end of the funnel for people. You know, Jesus spoke to the crowds. We want to keep doing that. We'll trust God for that number. But I'm looking for a few parents who want to go deep in disciple making. And I want to work myself out of a job. I don't want to disciple your kids. I want to help you learn how to disciple your kids and their friends. Because, man, the multiplication factor is going to be huge on that one. You know, every youth, excuse me. Every youth group I was ever a part of or youth ministry that I helped lead or whatever, it was always this big focus on, oh, we don't have enough adults. We don't have enough adults to kids. Our ratio's way off. That yep. whole microwave thing is killing us. We need more. And so you're always trying to recruit barely saved, half interested, never discipled parents yep. to show up consistently to not do much, but at least the numbers look better. And, I, and, and we used to jokingly say, like in the way we build community now and, and plant churches, Hey, 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 we got this crazy idea. We get this idea where we can flip that ratio almost one to one or two to one adults to kids. They're like, really? How? It's called parents. Yeah, yeah. Like they all have one or two kids per parent, you know, like maybe they have yeah. two to three or four, right? Yeah. And we're going to disciple them to disciple their kids and their friends. And they already have everything they need because most of them have a dinner table and a family room of some sort or a yard, or maybe a few of them can get together because man, you got a better yard than I got. You know, our house is a little small or whatever. Great, let's work together like a family. And we're going to disciple you to disciple your kids and, and their friends. And, and, and increasingly what's going to happen on our big Wednesday night thing is a big celebration of everything that's starting to happen out there in real life and in community and at your table and in your pool and, you know, at the mini putt putt golf that you decided to take the kids last week and get ice cream with them and all that, all that stuff where the gospel is now being leaked in and it's not programmatic, but it's coming out of a fluency of the gospel. We're going to celebrate that more and more and more. That's what, that's what that big week meeting is going to be increasingly. So as to be salty for people, like I want in, I yeah. want in, well, you yeah. get to, well, am I, I have to, how many nights a week are you expecting this? Well, as many as you want, because we're going to live like a family, you know? That's right. That's right. And, I, and the, the, and I think it boils down to, to, to the degree of uh, what is a youth pastor paid for? 
right? What is a youth pastor paid for versus what is what does scripture tell us we should should be doing? And yeah. so the the you know when you know there's all these you know uh, I've read a number dozens of job you know descriptions right mm. and you know what very very few of them mention the word discipleship in fact i can just speak for myself i was i was asked or uh, predominantly asked if i was asked any questions how many did you have last night from my senior pastors from my lead pastors what you're running how many did you have last night yeah. how many did you have last night you know what i was never asked who are you discipling right now in 30 years oh ouch 30 years of youth ministry I've never had a pastor ask me, who are you discipling? Because it's, it's in our, in, in somebody's foregone conclusion that somehow that's a mysterious thing that it's just sort of being done somehow. But, but I, I hear completely what you're saying. It's, but in college, college, colleges are not teaching students how to do this. So when they graduate out of a college, be it in a degree in youth ministry, whatever it is, you know, these things aren't being taught that what's being taught is, you know, how to grow a youth ministry, how, how to do a thing, how to, you know, maintain this. I would say very little is being taught in the area of how to disciple students and how to choose a church that values discipleship, right? Because when I, when I was, you know, I was blessed enough, you know, talking about middle school, that was my first role. That was my first responsibility in my home church was the middle school pastor. Fantastic. Yeah. But these guys that are coming out of college that maybe their home church doesn't have a youth ministry or whatever, that they're job hunting and looking for these churches. And if their focus is discipleship and they're not, those things are not keying in, then you're now on a, on a treadmill of whatever it is you just signed up for. All right, youth pastors, that is the end of part one of my conversation with Cesar Kalinowski from everydaydisciple.com. I hope you'll go ahead and get the free resource that he's offering over at everydaydisciple.com slash benchmarks and check out his podcast. And if you're a brand new listener and you don't want to miss part two of this conversation, be sure to go ahead and click that subscribe button and you won't miss an episode. But that's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening today. Whether you're brand new or you're a longtime listener, I appreciate your time and your attention. And do not forget, if nobody has told you lately that you're doing a good job, let me tell you, you're doing a good job and you're only going to get better. And I'll catch you guys in part two.